Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, I thank you for tonight and Hebrews chapter 13 and for your faithfulness to us, God. I thank you for the great closing words of this magisterial book of the Bible and for what it has to share to us tonight. I just thank you for these men and women who are journeying with us and have all this time. And we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Once again, we're in Hebrews 13, and we are just focusing on the clay. So remember our three students. We have the Yabud. Okay, the Yabud has been this whole time. He or she knows what they need to be doing, but they won't do it. Okay, they have some excuse. They have some rationalization. They have whatever. It's like, do you, do you follow God? Well, yeah, but I've got my own things going on there. Okay, there's always an excuse. The weary is they don't have excuses per se, but they're just tired. And then they, they're, they're not in a position where they want to make big changes anymore. And they just like, you know what? I know what I should be doing. I trust God, but I'm just sick of doing work. I'm sick of working on things. And it's just, it's just kind of hard. I just kind of want to see what happens. I just kind of want to ride the wave a bit. And the weary is in danger of giving up. They haven't yet, but they're in danger of that. But there's hope for the weary. There's not much hope for the Yabut. I was bold last week when I said the Yabut's probably going to hell. If, not, if the things don't change, that's, it doesn't look good for the Yabut. I'm not their judge, but just about what I know about the gospel message and how we are to respond to it, the Yabut is like the Pharisee with his excuses. So no, the weary, there's hope, but the weary has to change. The weary has to be able to trust God. And the clay says, I'm ready. So we're going to end with the clay tonight. Okay. And we're so thankful for all of you listening in podcast land as well. So glad you're here with us. Um, Yes, we are in um, Hebrews 13 again, and we're going to look at how the clay is in life and how the clay is in church. And I just, I like, I just really like how the author of Hebrews finishes out his letter. And let's read one to six. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves are suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, and here we're going to see here, I believe, Deuteronomy 31 and also Psalm 118. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So we've got five things here. How the clay lives the life. So if you've, been, if you've been with me this entire journey, but with, with us this entire journey with Hebrews, and you felt that challenge to become the clay, to be the clay, and you've just been waiting for, well, what am I supposed to do? What is it? What is it about the clay that needs to be me? Here it is. These six verses have five things here. Number one, consistent brotherly love. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. That is something that should define you, how you are, 
you love people. Jesus once said by this that the world's going to know that you're my disciples if you love one another. This isn't an erotic love. This isn't a I'm going to take advantage of you kind of love. This is I want what's best for you, and I'm journeying alongside of you. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. How can I pray for you? That kind of love. That should be a consistent hallmark of your life. So you're hearing this from somebody who has the title of a care pastor. That's like currency to me. Love that way. Be a care pastor to people. Genuinely care about them. Hospitable. Oh, what was it? The Newsboys they had that entertaining angel. They had that song. And a lot of people looked at this and said, oh, if I treat people well, maybe I'm going to entertain an angel and not even know about it. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, you can't, you know, say no to that, I guess, in theory. But is that the point here? No, the point here is you go back a couple of chapters and who entertained angels? Abraham. I hate to say it. Gideon, an angel of the Lord. Um, who else? Um, Samson's pops, Manoah. He had an angel of the Lord experience. I mean, these are people who were being hospitable and they entertain an angel. They were hospitable to an angel without even knowing about it. You could argue, I guess, maybe a lot with that whole experience with Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know, but I'm just, I'm just saying, um, yeah, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Now, this is a little odd because we live in a world that doesn't value hospitality like it once did. Where in the ancient world, you saw somebody who was on the street, like, no, you get in here. You're going to stay in my place tonight. I'm not going to, your money is no good here. This is what's going to happen. And that's a little creepy today. We got to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, you know, from Rome. We, we have to be careful with this. But can you have a hospitable attitude? Are you the kind of person that is a push away, kind of a Heisman pose? Are you, are, are you keeping people away? Are you more of inviting people in? Just in terms of your attitude. Are you somebody that is bringing people into a conversation to hear their story, to show them care? See, there's ways you can be hospitable to people and caring to people that have nothing to do with your house or apartment or the food in your cupboard. You know, we live in this generation now where we just can't do certain things like they once did. Where it would seem a little bit odd or whatnot. But can you have a hospitable attitude? Number three, personal perspective. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. That's perspective right there. Or someone's suffering and you're going to be, so that's just kind of like saying, kind of like the old school way to say you're, you're hearing somebody talking, well, I'll pray for you. Okay, thanks. But I really need help with this. I'm really struggling with this and I just need help. I, I'll never forget. So my dad died. We're at, we're at my dad's wake. And a never-ending line of people were coming up there. Hey, you need anything? Let me know. Let me know. Let me know. And I had my mom standing right there. And I just kept asking, do any of you know how to drive a tractor? Like a tractor lawnmower kind of thing. I try to find the, the most rednecky kind of guy I could find. Hey, you're offering something? Do, do you know how to, do you know, would you be able to rake some leaves up with my dad's riding mower? I can't. I'm leaving, to, you know, I'm not going to be around 
and my parents' yard is bad. I'm not going to go out there with a rake. Can you do that? And eventually I got a guy to say, yeah, I'll be out there the next day. But it's kind of like there, there's, there's like, I just, there's people offering to help. And there's, you know what, I'm, I, I'm going to, I'm going to be there. It's like that perspective that suffers with people as they're suffering. And you care so much for them that you want to see them closer with God again. You want to see their issues solved. You want to be a blessing to them in whatever way you can be. You're not in prison with them. You're not suffering with them as you are. But you remember Jesus when he, when he talked about, you know, I was hungry and thirsty and you, and you gave me water to drink or, or when you, you, you visited me in prison. And they're like, well, when were you that way? So what, what you did to the least of my brothers or sisters, you did it to me. There's that perspective that says, I'm going to care. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to care. I'm just going to care. And that means I'm going to care a certain way. It might cost me a little bit. It might make me just a little bit uncomfortable. But I'm going to do so appropriately. You know, don't put yourself in a position where it's going to be inappropriate. But it's like, here it is. Here it is. You got to involve your spouse, involve your spouse. If you got to involve a friend, involve a friend. But it's like, yes, there it is. Care for people. Have that personal. See, the clay is someone who has a consistent brotherly love to somebody or sisterly love. They actually want what's best for somebody. They're hospitable with their attitude. They're very giving of themselves in a very appropriate way. And when you're hurting, they're hurting too. And when you're crying in prayer, they want to cry with you. And this is really great, especially if you get men with men and women with women, where you could be able to hug each other and you know, whatever you got to do, or guys, we don't really hug each other as much. But it's like, all right, this, this is, let's just go to war right now. And nothing's inappropriate. You can just, just, just really go to battle for each other and intercede for each other in prayer. That's a personal perspective. And then we're going to get to contentment here, but I got some chats here. Sorry. Um, we have some agape love. Yes, if you, everyone you meet or come across as a living soul who is made in the image and likeness of God, pray for them and, and yeah, pray for them. And whether you personally like them or not, all right, uh, it's, we're, we're here to pray. Be compassionate. Do not show pettiness, even though you may be tempted to at times. And remember to be careful what you do and what you say. God's character is on display. Yeah, it's that's some great points. But contentment here. He's going to talk about sexuality and money. I mean, marriage issues, you fight about three major things. Money is one. Sex is the other. And communication is a third in any order, how you communicate. And so two of these three are right here. And so, but contentment. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So contentment with regards to your sex or sexuality. Contentment is like, there's that part of your life. Uh, if there is that part of your life, that that's, that's something where you're saying to God, God, I'm content with you. And right now you have me here. In this season of my life, this is sex. Now, I'm not going to answer that question for you. I don't, I mean, you're married, single, whatever. But God, this is my showing contentment with you. And you see, when you're not content, that's when you get yourselves in trouble. That's when you start going to other places. That's when you start going to 
people that you shouldn't be going to or internet sites, that kind of, it's like, that's not being content with God. That's saying, God, if you were a better shepherd, I would have this and I only have this. I want that. And so I'm really not content with you, God, because I don't think you're doing a very good job. And what I just described with sex equally applies with money. God, you provided for me, but you know, God, you could be doing better. God, I want this and I only have that. Come on, God, what's, what's the deal here? You see, God's saying, wait a minute, but you have me. Never will I leave you or forsake you. Um, you have me. It's like God is with you and you have the gumption to say to God, but you're not enough. That's really what it is. When what God has provided is not enough, take it one step further. God is not enough. And when the, when the clay hears that, the clay is like, well, crap. That can't be me anymore. Some repentance must happen. Change must happen. This thing I got going on over it, new, done. That can't be the, I need to be the, that can't be this old me anymore. I've got to be the new me in Christ. That's the clay's attitude. When the clay realizes he's not being content or she's not being content, it's repentance time. And the clay knows it. And the clay knows that my only choice right now is to depend upon God and be content with him. He is enough. He's with me. I'm not alone. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? God's not just with me. God's actively caring for me. Dang. If you're not content with God, and you know you're not content with God, if you're racing after other things, It's not got off territory. The clay is content with God. Sandy takes in when we were content. Oh, the chat just lost it. Hold on a second. When we are content with what we have. We are questioning God's provision as the ability to take care of us. We are not content with what we have. You're right. We're, we're questioning. Yeah, it, it's, we're just saying, God, you're not enough. You wouldn't dare say that with regards to your salvation. Would you say to Jesus on the cross in your place? Yeah, that's really great. But that's not, no, I, I, I got to have something different. I got to, would you, with regards to your salvation, would you dare say God's not enough? I don't think so. I hope you wouldn't. But it doesn't make much sense. That salvation is your only hope. You can trust God with that. You can be content and satisfied with that, but not with how he's leading you and shepherding you. Mm. That's how the clay is in life. Those five things. Yeah, great argument against deism. Yeah, deism is the idea that God doesn't really care. That God just kind of created everything wound the pocket watch got it nice and going and threw it in a drawer and just let it go doesn't really care and that's that's not theism so that's how the clay is in life 
I hope so. I hope one of those five or many of those fives encouraged you where you said to yourself, yep, that used to not be me, but that's me now, or I'm growing, or I'm really challenged to grow. See, the clay is always, the clay is not perfect, but the clay is growing. The clay wants to grow. The clay wants to change. The clay wants to be less like him and more like Jesus, or less like her and more like Jesus. And it's hard work. The weary is sick of that darn hard work. The yeah, but whatever. Has no, no need for that work. He just, uh, leave me alone. So how the clay is in church, 7 or 19. We'll try to take these in order here. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that's number six there, responding to the leaders that God replaces and the leader he doesn't. Who are the leaders that God replaces? A Moses. A Paul. A Peter. Some of those names were not present when the author of Hebrews wrote this. So it's like looking back at the great faithful leaders. You want to go back to chapter 11 and see some of those all-star names? Look back at them. What can you model your life? How can you imitate? So it's consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Go back to chapter 11 and go, yeah, how they had faith, I need to have faith. So responding to the leaders that God replaces, but what's the leader God doesn't replace? We get him once for all, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever. Whew. Hebrews mic drop. Jesus Christ, we respond to the leaders that God does replace, and God brings in new leaders into your life, new mentors, new teachers, people for you to imitate, people that God has placed there to guide you. And there's always Jesus. Faith versus empty ritual. What in the world? Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. This is going to hurt. Because there's temptation to follow the strange and the novel. There's temptation there. There's temptation as a preacher, I'll say this, to want to preach a lesson or teach a lesson and come up with something novel and go, ooh, this is going to get them going, whoa, look at that. Wow, look how smart that dude is. He came up with that. I've never heard that before. Wow, that's a temptation. I really want to rock their minds tonight. I'm going to say this. Don't be carried away by strange teachings. Strange, foreign. It's like carried away. It's like it's pulling you away from where you need to be. If you're starting a comment about the things you believe with, it might sound strange. Pay attention to that. If I'm talking that way to somebody else, say it might sound strange. That's a really weird avenue to go. I better have a good rest of that sentence is what I'm saying. Yeah, I love that, Mick. Our job is to stick to the script and that script is scripture. We need nothing else. We need nothing new. Okay. What is that? The old, old wedding thing, something new, something uh, borrowed, something blue. Okay. Something old. No, we don't need anything new. Okay. 
we don't need something to go, you know what? That worked for Moses's day, but I got to have something new here because I'm always craving the new. I can't wait to get the new iPhone or the new this or new that. I can't wait for my app to refresh so I can do this. I can't wait for this new program. I can't wait for this new car. I, whatever it is, I have to have the new. No, there's power right there. There's something with you at that point that's not satisfied with what God has said. And you want to have that new thing so that you can be seen with that new thing. So you can now be the one who's kind of like the arbiter of that new thing. And that temptation is more about you being selfish. I know. I know that story. Believe me, I know that story. That's been my story. You see, we have the faith and we have these empty things that don't really lead anywhere. They're more ritualistic. Well, how does he talk about here? Um, don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. You know, it's like he's getting after this idea. I guess back in the day, there was this idea about if I, I could eat certain things and it's going to enhance my walk. Or I guess you could talk about like in that kind of the Native American culture, they kind of have the mushrooms or the peyote or whatever. And I can do these spiritual things where, where I, can, I can ingest something and all of a sudden I'll have this spiritual walking kind of thing. And evidently that's always been around. And they had some of these things, some of them were like more like the Qumran community, like this kind of ascetic, kind of nomadic, kind of getaway monk on the side of a mountain kind of thing, where I can go off and do these ritualistic things, and I can have this closer walk, and it's like, hold on, hold on. We're not here for the strange. It's like the value there of what you're going to eat, you know, I equate it today and I'm going to offend probably somebody out there with this. There's a temptation with the church. There's a four-letter word. And it starts with W and rhymes with broke. And I chose that rhyme on purpose. You see, they're not going after these strange things to eat. But they're proving and they're trying to prove themselves and to God and to others that they are woke and like, I'm going to go there. I'm going to virtue signal this, 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 and this. And therefore, I'm going to appear like I've got the leg up. Because now I'm seen as woke. Now, that is a spiritual kind of an attitude thing, an intellectual thing. We get the impression that the author of Hebrews is going after something more physical, like they've been literally eating something. But really what they're doing is they're chasing after something. They're chasing after an attaboy. They're chasing after an girl. They're chasing after really good press. They're chasing after, hey, did you see what that guy did? Wow, he's got it going on. Well, she's really put together. Look what they're doing. We got to be careful with that. Some of these strange things that the church hasn't been about ever. Don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. What is grace? Getting what you don't deserve. It is by grace you are saved through faith. It's like, that's where we go to get our nourishment, Jesus. We're not stepping outside of Jesus. If you're going to other things, danger. Don't go don't go to other things. Yeah, Ecclesiastes, 
Mick takes and there's nothing new under the sun. Woke is so ill-defined. Yeah, it's really, you're, you're, it's not woke. You're actually asleep to really the reality of yourself and what you're chasing after. Yes, so ill-defined. Uh, Daniel takes and woke cultures are product of the enemy used as yet another method of dividing his people. Yeah, it's all about who's divided against whom. And it's just, that's just this cultural Marxism. Who can I, what, what victim group can I put against this victim group? And that's just not the gospel. I mean, if there was a victim in the gospel, it would be Jesus, the most cosmic, unfair thing of all time. He died a death he didn't deserve. There's your woke. Take his side. He doesn't view it that way. He doesn't view himself as being murdered. He gave himself. Huge, huge. Responding to the leaders, God replaces the dozen faith versus empty ritual outside the camp values. What? Now let's get going here. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Yeah, there's something different here. You go back to the, 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 the Mosaic law. You've got the priests right there at the altar in the tabernacle, and they get to eat their portion. Okay. Now, they didn't eat the sin offering. Nobody could benefit from someone else's sin, but they got to eat other offerings. Okay, they're at that altar and they're, 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 they're representing you before God and representing God before you and they get to eat as well. But we don't have that anymore. We go right to Jesus. Now I'm going to say this is going to fit this context here because we are not cannibalistic, but we go to him to eat. We're being strengthened by him. We're not going to these old, old covenant rituals. You know, a big argument of the book of Hebrews is the old covenant is no longer enough anymore. We've got to have something new. And Jesus is the mediator of something new. So here we go, outside the camp. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place. He was talking about the Day of Atonement here as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. Wow. We're not going to the religious structures anymore like they did in the Old Testament. We're going directly to God, to Jesus. He is not only God, he's our mediator. We're not going to the, 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 the also ran. We're not going to what has been there. We're going outside the camp. We're going right to him. It values going right to Jesus, humbling ourselves before him, not trusting in the machine of religion or not trusting in, okay, I'm going to do this sacrifice and I'm going to have it's like the, the old covenant. We've already talked about this. All it can do is reveal that you're a sinner. The law cannot save. It can only condemn. And so your, your sacrifice is just like whiteout. So you can turn in your paper. There's nothing truly fully or final about that. But go outside the city. Go outside the camp. Go right to Jesus. Humble yourself. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow him. Eternal and not temporal. We do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. You see, the, 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 the clay realizes 
that we are like Abraham. We are but aliens and strangers, sojourners. Earth is not our home. I don't care what citizenship is on your passport. Christian, heaven is your home. That old hymn, we're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching onward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. That's where we're going. That's the idea. Heaven is our home. Not this temporal. Yeah, we're to be faithful right now. We're to trust God right now. That's what the clay does. But we have that perspective of the eternal. Sacrifices that please God. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So look in your text there. What is that sacrifice? A sacrifice of praise. Also things that God is pleased by. Those are two sacrifices there. Sacrifices that praise God and sacrifices that please God. That's what we want. Scripture talks about having a sacrifice with a pleasing aroma. It's like that barbecue smell that you can smell all the way around your neighborhood. Like, oh, wow, someone's doing a barbecue. Boy, that smells good. Yeah, that was worship. It's like, yes. It's especially when you brought your fatty portions to God and put them on, on God's altar and it sizzles up and the aroma goes up and, oh, that smells so good. Yeah, that's our sacrifices to God. Make that be a pleasing aroma, your sacrifice, how you live your life, how you praise God by your very existence, the way in which you continue to honor him with how you treat other people. And it starts in the church. Always start in the church. That's ready-made, that's like ready-made people that God's put in your life. And where does it go next? Your neighbors. The next set of ready-made people God's already put in your life. We honor God, Sandy texted, we honor God. We place him first and submit to those. He puts an authority over our lives. We, we offer our lives as living sacrifices. They might bring glory to God. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes. Living sacrifices. So like, if this is not Paul, he's read Romans 12 of Paul. This is your spiritual act of worship, Romans 12. So it's like, if Paul didn't write Hebrews, the dude knew Paul, or he read some of Paul, because that's almost what we got here. Yeah. The blessing of obedience and submission. Have confidence in your leaders, verse 17. Submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Oh, there's that again. Yeah. The elders of your church the pastoral staff of your church. You can trickle up to your volunteer leaders who would, who would answer to staff members and staff members answer to other staff members. And those staff members, they all answer to the eldership and the eldership, you know, kind of answers to a plurality of themselves and they're, they're, they're installed by the church and they, we all answer to God. We're all answering to somebody. But the leaders that we have, and we're talking to a church here, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be a benefit to you. Well, that's just a logical thing. 
if you're if you're making it easier for them to care for you, it's easier to care for you. That's just like almost like a tautology. A equals A. I mean, there's just you're able to be a blessing to the ones who God's put over you as a leader. Huge thing to be a blessing. I know as a pastor, especially when I was a pastor of a small church, I know who were the servants in that church. And they were a blessing to me. I could count on them. I could trust them. They allowed me to have better sleep at night because of their faithfulness. Maybe a few less white hairs in my beard kind of thing. Be a blessing. And you're, you're in your obedience and your submission. And if you don't like those words, just remember, ultimately, you're being obedient and submissive to God. And again, this goes back to contentment. Well, I don't want to submit to, to a church. What's your problem? You're not content with God and what God has placed in your life? Are you not content with the institution of the church? Literally something that Jesus built? Even as a metaphor, originally? And this is what Jesus has installed for his people. I think your contentment is, with, is not with God at that point. To call yourself a Christian and say, but I'm not going to submit to an eldership. Seriously? I don't think you want to submit to God. There's a deeper matter there. And then, sweetheart, you're not the clay. You think you're the clay, but you're not. Because the clay submits to God. The clay is content with God. The clay responds to the leaders that God replaces than God does. And the clay doesn't just turn to empty ritual, but lives by faith. The clay goes right and just leaves that emptiness of, of ritual. Just, you know what? I'm not going to play the game anymore. I'm going to honor God with my life and go right to God, right to Jesus. The clay is going to focus on the eternal, not just the temporal. The clay has sacrifices in his life that please God that wants to sacrifice. It's like, you want to follow to me, you've got to deny yourself. That's self-denial. That is a sacrifice. It's like I'm putting me on the altar. No, it's a living sacrifice, Romans 12. My priorities, they're not most important. The secular world doesn't understand that. The clay realizes there's a blessing to obey his leaders. And to submit to them. And now pray. I love this. Verse 18, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. We have an eye, don't we? How cool. We don't know who this person is writing this letter, but we have a first person singular pronoun, don't we? Pray for me. Pray for us as leaders, but now pray for me because I want to come visit you. Wow. Wow, I like that. Pastors and elders, are we're all the time wanting prayer. We need prayer. You look at the armor of God chapter in Ephesians, like God, Paul's like, and pray for me so that I might fearlessly stand. Yeah, huge, huge. Mm, yeah, but they knew, you're right. They knew exactly who this leader was. Good point, Mick. 
we have no idea who this person is writing Hebrews. But they did. Dude didn't have to name himself. They knew who he was. Benediction. Maybe the best benediction of the Bible. There's some good ones. Jude has a really good one. Just saying. Romans has a really good one. It's arguable. You can't beat this one right here. All right? You could, you could argue it. And, I, and I, I just might do that. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. May he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. First of all, number 13 on our page here, the sovereign activity of God in the clay. This is very Reformed theology. This is very Calvinistic theology right here. May he equip you with everything good to do his will. You see, the Arminian side says, I already have enough. I can do his will. And if I don't do his will, I'm not going to be saved. The Reformed theologian says, you'll never do it. On your own, no shot at all. Ephesians 2, you were dead in your sins. You're like a corpse. Forget about it. You're not going to do any. You'll never honor God on your own. And I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. This is another great passage right here. May he equip you with everything good for doing his will. God, I want to do your will, but I'm not going to do your will unless you help me do your will. Unless you equip me to do your will, I will never do your will. Boom. 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 I love that. The sovereign activity of God in your life, equipping you to do his will. You know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You don't need to be equipped to do your will. You do your will naturally. But do you honor God naturally? No. He's got to equip you. What's the other thing? And that he may work in us what is pleasing to him. I love that. Some of the best work I do just sucks. It's never good enough. God has to work in me. God's the one that has to be sovereign. The moment I got everything planned out, nah. The sovereign activity of God in the clay. God equips you to do his will. God doesn't call, call the equipped. He equips the called. Huge. That's an old line. If God calls the equipped, then you've got to take all the classes and get ready to go. And now you're ready. Now, God, call me. I got this. God's not sovereign if you've got this. God calls you and equips you. Boom. You don't have to be good enough. You're God's. He's good enough. He's at work. Be content with him and trust him. He may work in you what is pleasing to him. And also the end result of existence is this. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a benediction, y'all. What's the meaning of life? That Jesus Christ would be glorified? Done. What's the meaning of your life? Make it personal. That Jesus Christ would be glorified in my life. In and through me. 
my story for his glory. My favorite verse, Psalm 46. Be still, know that I am God. Then it continues, I will be exalted among the nations, among the goyim, among the Gentiles. I will be exalted in all the earth. The end result of history, of human existence is God will be exalted, lift up, glorified. That's the meaning of our existence right there. That's it. So now some closing words. Scroll down here. 22 to 25. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact, I have written to you quite briefly. The old pastor joke is the um, most commentaries of the book of, of Hebrews are bigger than the book of Hebrews. It's like the book of Hebrews is not, not big. Yeah, I make text of the, uh, the, the Bible wasn't written to us, but preserved for us. Yeah. Amen. Stay humble. Exhortation is not fun. It sometimes really hurts. Just stay humble. Bear with my word of exhortation, he says. For in fact, I have written to you quite briefly. I don't think Paul would say that. I'm just going to be blunt. Paul is the master of the run-on sentence. With Paul, it's like, can I add a few more 16-letter participles? I think I can. It's just like, all of a sudden, a sentence turns into like a, a multi-tiered paragraph with Paul. Same way in 1 Peter. 1 Peter is really, really tough Greek. 2 Peter, not so much. 1 Peter, whoever Peter got to write that down really had some Greek stuff. It's like big, huge. I don't think Paul would write this. For in fact, I've written to you quite briefly. <laughs> That's not Paul. Um, yeah, I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. That's kind of cool. I think Paul, I forget where it was. He was talking to Timothy and said there was some metal worker that was out to get him. Was that guy's name, Alexander or something like that? He's warning Timothy about some dude that's going to come to get him. He said, hey, hold on. This guy's going to come to some, it was a metal worker, I believe. He's going to come get you. Okay. So evidently Timothy got got and he was in prison, wherever that was. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, oh, by the way, Timothy's getting out. In fact, he's out. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. That's kind of cool. They knew Timothy. So Timothy most likely is in and around Ephesus. So whoever's being written to here most likely is in and around Ephesus, maybe Galatia or Phrygia or somewhere real close by. But yeah, they knew Timothy. It's kind of cool, cool dude. We all want to see Timothy in heaven. Timothy's just a great guy. A young pastor doing his best, honoring God, like a child to Paul. Timothy's getting out. If he arrives soon, I'll come with him to see you. Closing out, God's at work. Greet all your leaders and all of the Lord's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Oh, well, that's it. They must be in Italy. No. He's got some Italians nearby. And hey, they're sending their greetings. We know missionaries all over the world. We partner with them. It's one of the greatest things to say, hey, I had a meal with this person, and now they're in Albania, or they're in Italy. They're doing this great work of the gospel, and I just fed them food in my house not too long ago. 
wow, I get email updates from these people. Wow, look at this. Those from Italy send their greetings. Just a reminder to this little, this, this, whatever this group of people is in this book, you're part of something bigger. Don't give up, weary. Get in line, knock it off. Yeah, but. Stay content with God, Clay. We're part of something bigger. God's at work. Stay humble. Grace be with you all. Book of Hebrews. The greatest thing ever is God's grace. Because of that grace, you are saved. That's how the book's ended. This has been Masterclass Theology for the book of Hebrews in chapter 13. Thanks for letting me share. <laughs>